Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. His ascension to the leadership again is creating energy for those opposition campaigns in a way that Michael McCormack, as a sort of wet lettuce, can't energise people. You know, in some ways, those independent campaigns are thinking, well, Barnaby will be the greatest gift to us of all because he will push, he will force you to make a decision on what you think about your local National Party candidate. Hello, lovely people, and welcome to the show. You are with Catherine Murphy, political editor of Guardian Australia and the host of this podcast. And to my absolute delight, coming coming to you live from Harden, Gabriel Chan, back <laughs> on the pod. <laughs> we haven't done one of these for ages, and uh, I think it's fair to say that Gabs and I are very much looking forward to this conversation as we attempt to find words for a week where words really probably defy both of us. Would that be a reasonable summation? Oh, it, I, I would say so. I would say yes. so. I, anyway. I, I just keep looking at this political week and wondering why. <laughs> it's the eternal why. The eternal why. Mm. Exactly. So the eternal why is what we're going to explore over the next sort of several minutes as we chart what I've called this week the Joyce erection. I mean, it, perhaps it would have been better if it was the Barnes erection in retrospect, but it is, I've, anyway, I've, I've locked in behind the Joyce erection in the event that somehow you miss this story. And obviously it has been a really serious week in national news this week. Big shout out to people in Sydney who are living through, as Gladys Berejiklian said during the week, sort of the most serious outbreak in the pandemic in that state so far. So lots of serious stuff was going on. And you may have, uh, if you were lucky, avoided the shenanigans in Canberra. Sadly, I was unable to avoid the shenanigans in Canberra. And there is actually lots, lots to unpack with the return of Barnaby Joyce as Deputy Prime Minister and Leader of the Nats. Now, I've got uh, Gabby on because she is out at the farm. She's out in uh, regional communities all the time. She's got a new book project, which we might get to at the end of the conversation. So she's out and about in regional Australia. She's going to have a really valuable perspective on this. So how would you... Let's start with, obviously, Barnaby Joyce has returned to the Nationals' leadership... How do you think people in regional Australia are processing this news? With a level of shock, 
I don't think probably anyone thought that he would make it back to the leadership. That's not to say that he hasn't got support. I think he's, a, as you would know, a very polarising character. So people either love him or hate him. I think there's also a section of people who think he's a necessary evil in order to hold back what they see as the tide of uh, more liberal-centric policies. Mm. Uh, Climate is obviously a very vexed issue in regional areas, but I would say in terms certainly of their farming constituency, people are absolutely getting on board with transitioning their businesses because they can see that the winds of change. They can see their markets changing. They can see the COP coming, you know, the meeting, the climate meeting at the end of this year globally. There's already certifications required, say, if you're selling canola into European markets in term for biofuels and things like that. So, you know, it's a really mixed picture. Mm. But I think there's people who are engaged in the debate worry about a couple of things, right? So they they think, yes, Barnaby might have more cut through in terms of just his whole performance shtick that he does, performance art, which Mm. is kind of pushing back on policies but not really, you know, making much material difference. There's a lot of talk amongst rural women about, you know, the 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 appropriateness or rather the lack of appropriateness of someone with his record coming back into a leadership role in terms of having a leadership standard so there's that issue i mean the the obviously he's he's gone back in and replaced McCormack on this um women's safety and security focus committee which is uh if I didn't think it was real news, I actually, when I saw that story, I actually thought it was a Batuta story. I thought it was a Batuta advocate story. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, actually, you know, the guys have started writing, you know, for, for various <laughs> mainstream exactly. news Exactly, it's gone mainstream. Yeah. Batuta's gone yeah. mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. But no, but no, however, comma. it's actually yeah. real. So there's those issues. And... I think there's a, it's really funny, like I got a message from someone who's, you know, very kind of rusted on that and he said, well, you know, the party wouldn't have had a chance, you know, with McCormack and um, and so Barnaby was, he's in the sort of necessary evil camp, mm, I guess, mm. and he said, you know, if Labor gets in, farmers will do it really tough but, you know, you just wonder whether the Barnaby experiment is just going to blow the whole show up even more. So whether mm. it actually manifests their fears in the end, I think, is a really interesting question. Whether, mm. you know, it helps Labor go from opposition to government will be one of the things, obviously, you know, the Liberals are weighing up right now. It's it's really interesting because let's let's unpack a couple of the points that you flagged there. You've said absolutely correctly, and certainly the mail around the National Party here in the lead up to the the return of Barnaby Joyce was that the Nats are 
are sick of uh, being on the receiving end of structural adjustment policies driven by the Liberals and having to explain those policies to their constituents. You mentioned that a minute ago, yeah. right? That's yeah. one of the factors here. But it's sort of the thing I scratch my head about with this is why that why that epiphany now? It's sort of like you wrote you wrote Rusted Off, which is Gabby's incredibly well received book, which which basically runs right along that fault line, right? Yeah. Explores that at quite quite a degree of depth. And and there's two things you can say about that. One is yes, the Nats go along with these reforms, but they always extract a price in order for doing so, like these these regional f- grants, programs, all of that, right? There's always been some quid pro quo. But what I don't understand is why, given this has been going on for 20 years or, or more, you know, more like, more like 30 years than 20, why all of a sudden the party snaps to and says, oh, my God, structural adjustment. Oh, my God, we, we can't do it anymore. I mean, do you understand that? No, not really, not really, because this is, as you say, it's been happening for decades. And partly it's the reason why we've seen the rise of rural independence, minor parties exactly. like Shooters, Fishers, Farmers. They actually came out of the the period of the Howard government where I think there was this whole kind of waking up in in those sections of um, the political, the rural political movement that the things that the deregulation agenda that Keating Hawke governments had put in was continued on by the Howard government and there were people that were saying, oh, okay, so Hanson comes in in that period of government too. So, you know, I think... Uh, that's why I think it's just performance art. Like mm. I, I, my biggest frustration both, and it, and it drove me to write Rusted Off and it's driving me to write this next book, which is we might get on to later, but there's no connected regional policy. So, that, so the, the spoils that they get in order to pay off the structural adjustments is a bridge here, a road there. It's completely disconnected little buckets of money that rural communities have to compete for in some grants project that, you know, maybe you might get 10 grand for a footpath, maybe you might not. And and my argument has always been, where is the deep policy thinking, right? Where is the, where is the connected regional policy that says something like, the world is moving on climate change. Rural communities have to get ready. Whether you're a miner or a farmer or a or a town person with a small business that hangs off some of the big rural industries, how are how are all of these people going to survive going forward and thrive? And we never get the answer to that questions. It's always bridges, roads, dams. That's the only answer. And that's and you you put your finger on it right there. See, like what the where, where the Nats have got to on this journey, right? And the the, the answer the partly to the question is what what you're saying that they're under pressure in their rural constituencies from insurgents of various types, right? So they've got to now somehow develop some language explaining their own goals in being the representative of rural 
Australia, right? Like they've got a this is this is what we're witnessing, right? They're under pressure from the shooters and Hanson and all of that. Granted, they've been under pressure for two decades, but anyway, for whatever reason, this is starting to crystallise. The Nats are now engaging in what you correctly call performance art in order to explain what their job is in the firmament of Australian politics. But so far, we're seeing manifestations of what they're against, right, in terms of the language and positioning. I'm... What 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 is absolutely lacking is what these guys are for, in terms of bringing that that narrative that you're talking about together, right? Like how do like the world is a changing place, change has actually benefited our constituencies. When you think about you know trade, international trade, all these markets, right? Like there are benefits to structural adjustment as well as costs. And how do we define the future? That's what's completely lacking to my ear. I think we're saying the same thing, but using slightly different words. It's weird, isn't it? But then, Gabby, do you, what do you think? Because, look, getting back to Joyce being the necessary evil or words to that effect or, you know, the guy who can make the connections in regional Australia, it's sort of like, I don't know, a question I've got is Barnaby's obviously the cultural affinity character, right? He's the relatable character who they bring up to head the show. And he's obviously, you know, in New England where he's from, that whole community absolutely buys that, right? He's our guy. He speaks like us. He presents like us. He, you know, sticks up for our issues. They don't seem to be worried about whether or not he delivers or not. It's just whether or not he, you know, fights the good fight in inverted commas. Like, is that the case? And and I'm not asking you to answer for all around the country, because obviously you haven't been all around the country. But I know that works in New England, but do you think it works everywhere? Well, firstly, let me point out that I don't think he's the necessary evil. Uh, (laughs) I don't think that evil is necessary. (laughs) Um, But, uh, and I think his electorate is really conflicted because they know what a flawed character he is. Um, there was quite an independent campaign. He didn't make the, 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 sorry, in the last 2019 election. And while they didn't make big inroads, I see that there's a website floating around, uh, I think it's Make New England Matter or words to that effect. Mm. And the voices for campaigns which are starting uh, largely in the eastern states but also in Western Australia and South Australia that derive from the model that was started by Cathy McGowan in Indi uh, are starting to make some movements around the, around the country, I can see. So there's that stuff. I think he's, it, again, it goes back to that polarisation. So on the one hand... His ascension to the leadership again is creating energy for those opposition campaigns in a way that Michael McCormack, as a sort of wet lettuce, can't energise people, mm, either for or point. against, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, in that, some ways those independent campaigns are thinking, well, Barnaby will be the greatest gift to us of all because mm. he will push, he will force you to make a decision on what you think about your local National Party candidate. And mm. 
so so there's that element and I think the other thing that's happening is there's a big conversation going on there's been a lot of leadership capacity building in rural Australia over the last two decades. We've got the Australian Rural Leadership Program. We've got the Australian Rural Women's Awards, which have both an award at a state level and a national level. And those networks really are starting to have conversations about what they want Australian rural representation to be. You know, they're those sort of leadership programs really push you to think about why you think the way you do. And anyone that wants to get into rural advocacy has usually come through one of those routes, you know. Those two, or Nuffield Scholarships is another one. So they are all about building leadership capacity. And so all the leadership stuff that they learn, when they look at the National Party leadership or any political party leadership, they go, hmm, courageous, honest, integrity, all this stuff that they learn in these programs are going, okay, this is a, this is a contrast, right? So it's sparked, Barnaby's leadership, again, has sparked all of those conversations. Like, is this what we mm. want? Is this how, but the issue, and this is an issue you know so well, Murph, having grown up in rural Australia, as you did, is that the National Party is completely interwoven into the social infrastructure in the eastern states only. Remember, it's only in the eastern states. There is a National Party in Western Australia, but they are a very different cultural beast. So that infrastructure is really hard. So part of the leadership conversations that are happening out of these programs amongst people is also, but if I stand up and I have a board position that is partly government funded or a business that is reliant on dealing with both the National Party at a state and federal level, but also at a town level, because that's a really important part of your business capability as well, whether you get the local grant, whether you, you know, how you, how you move within those lo- local groups. Particularly women are saying, well, you know, like that, I'm going out on a limb here. Like not mm. only does it threaten what I can do for my community, it might threaten what I can do for my business, it might threaten my social standing in some cases in, in this little town that you would think had no connection with, with the federal leadership of the National Party. It's so interwoven. It's like this yes. one big tapestry. Yeah, and if you grow if you if you grew up in the city, you don't understand that because it's it's a different way that politics is practiced. Uh, you know, the National Party recruits sort of affinity, if not actual membership. You know, when you're a teenager, when you're kids, it's it is it is absolutely woven into the fabric of these towns. It's sort of you know, kind of connections with the National Party is synonymous with uh, you know, prospering either socially socially or directly or whatever else. So it's a hell of a nexus that's kind of out there in regional Australia. So for insurgents like the Voices campaign and and others, it is, it's sort of in a way, it's kind of like breaking that nexus is the hardest thing. That's what you're saying, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's It's very hard to stand up when you're one voice. And so I think the danger 
here for the National Party is if you end up seeing something that looks like a number of voices coming at once. Hmm. So if hmm. so if if people came out at once, you have both the safety of the group and you're making a point that this is not me as a kind of weirdo with weird ideas from one little place. You're making a point that this is a wider position. And well, you pro- yeah, you're yeah. projecting critical mass. Yes, it's like that. There's there's more than one of me that yeah. that has different ideas to the prevailing wisdom. It is really interesting that polarizing thought because I confess because I'm as you know love so desk bound here and so kind of in the in the rotation cycle of, pe- of speaking to people here. Obviously, he's polarizing with his colleagues. But it's also thinking about it at the electoral level. And it's sort of like, you know, it's that conundrum in, in politics where, you know, your best base whisperer, in inverted commas, you know, the person to bring out the base is often the person who will activate opponents too. It's uh, So that's a really interesting dynamic, I think, for listeners to kind of filter through their minds, that it's that there, there are these genuine pluses and minuses on the ground. What did we learn... Do you reckon watching the play this week, what everybody was saying, all the all the kind of positioning? We, you mentioned climate before, and that's there is this huge gap between what's actually happening on the ground and what various Nats are saying in Canberra about what should or shouldn't happen. There's also since the coal seam gas uh, days, there's that those divisions in regional communities that are, you know pro pro fossil fuels pro agriculture, etc. Like, what do you make of Barnaby, Matt Canavan, all that, all that positioning on climate, you know, we're the friends of the coal workers, we're the, we're the absolute rusted on friends of the resources industry. How does that play out? I mean, you, you touched on it before, but let's have another pass at it. Well, obviously, it's different in different areas. So I think it, it, would play in the areas that are more uh, more reliant on mining. I did a um, a, a talk with uh, with some people, some groups up in the Hunter, and they were talking there about how transition is now a dirty word. So to me, a friend of a coal miner would look at the global markets and think, "How can I get that coal miner through?" the next couple of decades, right? How Correct. can I how can I land that coal miner with a job if the global markets are moving and how can I make sure his kids will have a job if his industry dies? And I think that's the big question. Now that used to be called transition. No one's allowed to say transition anymore because Matt Canavan has successfully made that a dirty word, as dirty as his face on Twitter smeared in coal mining dust. <laughs> uh, so so how, how, how that... I, I just don't see how you can sell a message that you are friends with miners if you're not thinking about what the next generation if you're if you're a 30 something miner the next two decades are going to be critical now as i understand it you know the the mining companies are thinking about transition 
and net zero targets. They know it's coming. So it's a bit dishonest to say to the miners who are working for those companies, dishonest as a political party, to say, you know, we can just kick this can down the road and and not do anything about it. Mm. What do you think too? Let's again we we touched on women a minute ago, but I want to have another pass at that as well. Peter Lewis, our Guardian essential pollster, has written about liberal women as sort of being the white whale of Australian politics. Uh, there's there's this sort of ongoing semi fantasy that occurs that. Liberal women will vote against the Liberal Party either because of asylum seekers or because of you know Scott Morrison's handling of the Brittany Higgins matter, for example, or on climate change because women sort of centre right women are activated on all of those points, but when push comes to shove, they tend to they sort of pick the fealty they they kind of stick with the Liberal Party in the end they don't really. They don't really break off. They, they, they're they unhappy, but they hold their nose and they vote for the Liberal Party. What do you, What's your assessment about national women? Because, again, we've touched on that in this conversation, but let's just drill down a layer. So there, there's the reaction uh, among regional women of, well, sort of dumbstruck horror at the return of Barnaby Joyce. Do you think some of these national voting women will be galvanised sufficiently to look at alternatives? I think within the party, I can't see them galvanising. I think women close to them, like the ones I'm talking about that that have done a lot of advocacy work, I think they're a different story altogether. I think, you know, there has been an enabling of a bit of a boys club within the party, within the National Party, by some of the National Party women. And by enabling, I mean, you know, it's the hold your nose factor. Just Mm. kind of accept that, you know, it's a little bit, something's something's not right here, but I, I don't want to push against it. I noticed that in the latest New South Wales Senate race, the number one spot went to Ross Cadell rather than Alison Penfold. So there was a chance to have a woman right up the top of the ticket there, and that didn't happen. Ross Cadell was New South Wales State Director of the National Party and and very much there dealt with all the uh, the Barnaby allegations by Catherine Marriott that mm. remains unresolved. They they had no finding on that issue. So in terms of, the, of female voters further away from the process, that is not National Party members, active members. An MP, a rural MP told me probably, I don't know, it must have been 10 years ago now that that he did some polling in rural areas and that women say our generation, well, my generation, mid-50s, were having more of an impact on their husband's vote, whereas the previous generation, the generation above us, it was the other way around. The husband would Mm. influence the wife and that by the time you get to the 50-year-olds, the wife is having quite an influence on the husband. I can report I have no influence on my husband's (laughs) vote. (laughs) 
I've, I'll just tell you a little secret because I'm sure he won't listen to this podcast. I've told him he must, in his will, leave how he's voted in every election <laughs> since we've been together because he won't tell me. Anyway, that aside, I think that would be a really interesting... If, if that is in fact true, that women are having a greater effect on husbands' votes or partners' votes that would signal a changing dynamic in rural areas because I think women are exercising... I'm seeing in farming at least, you know, what I've done a carbon accounting workshop with a, with a group within Landcare that is a subcommittee of women. So uh-huh. it's the women that are interested in their carbon footprint of the farm and are looking to get their farms future ready in order to cope with changes on climate change. So if that's activating and if you put that together with that political piece, and I'd love Peter at Essential to do some some work around this sort of stuff, who is the influential party in the household, any household, and and if if that has changed what that means for the nationals future because it may mean that the political outcomes are going the same way as climate change and coal that is you know this is dying out as a if if this, if they want to make their stand on coal and and a, a very flawed character that has a dubious history with women then is that the equivalent of making a stand on coal, you know, for climate change movement going forward? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, yeah. So out of this, uh, I want to get quickly to the book just before we finish up. So out of this conversation, we've got some great insights. We've got Joyce being polarising at the at the grassroots level as well as in as in the parliament. We've got farmers moving in advance of the gnats. <laughs> to <Who> knew? <laughs> exactly. To future-proof their farming operations. And this, well, diabolical sort of, you know, kind of re- call it remnant denialism campaign that the gnats are, are spearheading with coal workers. You know, how this, how does this all shake out? Well, as they say in the classics, only time will tell. But anyway, tell, tell the listeners a little bit about your latest project, which is, uh, well... It's about. It's going to come out, isn't it? It's Soon. coming out. It's released on August thirty first, and mm-hmm. it's called. Uh, given that this is the Guardian, it's the one uh, realm where I can say the <laughs> full title, which is why you should give a fuck about farming. Oh God, that sounds good to say. <laughs> oh, sure, without better hedging. out than in. <laughs> better, better out than in. Yeah. And, it, and, and, and so it really relates to this stuff that we've been talking about. Mm. So, so what is the the past, the present and the future of landscape management in this country. So it relates to how we have no national connected rural and regional landscape policy. It, it, it looks at, you know, where we're going, how we're going to move forward in a changing climate, uh, how farmers are getting ready for changes in their landscape and what it means also to the economic debate that has really, we saw the kind of 
pulling down of all of this protective mechanisms in in Australian farming from the 80s onwards. You know, I've talked to characters like John Kerrin, who was the agriculture minister in in the Hawke-Keating government, Ross Garneau, and and really sort of thinking deeply about what it means, what the, what the economic signals mean for, for farming and what the policy should be looking at. Because to tell you the truth, right now the economic signals are all pull everything out of the landscape that you possibly can because you've got to shave it down to the lowest possible production price and that doesn't include the price of the landscape. The price of the landscape, the price of looking after the landscape is not included in the price of the food we eat. And so it's a conversation that really relates to anyone that eats. Mm. That would be and everyone. <laughs> well, and also uh, sort of before the the return of Barnaby Joyce, it was sort of a, it was that that sort of incentives for land management and uh, sequestration and other things was a journey that David Littleproud was tiptoeing along ever so cautiously uh, prior to uh, this conflagration. So it'll be interesting to see what survives out of all of that. And it sounds like Gabby's book could not be more timely. So we'll keep you in touch with that one. Thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. We hope we've been mildly coherent. It's been a massively incoherent week and uh, at times I've struggled for the words to describe it. So anyway, hopefully this conversation has assisted with coherence. Thank you to the lovely Hannah Izzard who has uh, listened in to this remote uh, session with Gabby under her doona literally in Harden and me in the pod cave in Canberra. Thank you, love, for cutting the show together. Thank you to Miles Martignoni, who is the EP of this show. Thank you to you guys for listening. We will be back next week. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.